Hello, Real Life family. Good to see you today as we continue on our series of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 12. And uh, today I just want to pick up where we left off last week. But let's pray, okay? Lord, just thank you for this opportunity to grow, to learn your word, and to experience more of your truth. Just pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and you'd write your truth upon our minds, upon our hearts, that your word would set us free, it would fill us, it would encourage us, that your presence would just be with us right now. Speak to us, God. We're hungry for you. We need you. We long for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, this might be my last talk on uh, the book of Romans, even though we won't quite finish it. But I will be looking at some verses out of Romans chapter 12 and 13. And today I want to uh, entitle this message, Practice Your Faith. And I'm going to challenge you to practice your faith. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, as I mentioned last week, Paul says, in light of the first 11 chapters that he wrote, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, uh, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And of course, that renewing of our mind comes through the Word of God. And so we talked about that last week about the patterns of this world. And, and the summary of that message would be this. The pattern of the world of sin or the realm of sin is self. It's self-worship. It's uh, you know, self-autonomy, self-pleasure, self-centered living. It's all about me, myself, and I. And the opposite of that is God's, um, God's perspective, which is love. And love is giving oneself away. It's selflessness, not selfishness. And so the world or the system of sin and the kingdom of God are absolutely opposites. Opposites. You cannot please your flesh and please the Spirit of God. It's one or the other. And so because of God's mercy, because he has saved us and he has done what we couldn't do for ourselves, Paul says our response to that is to give ourselves wholly to God. Our whole being belongs to God. We've been bought. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We've been forgiven and we've been given eternal life. So now that we have everything through Christ, now we give everything back. Do you see? And so our life is meant to be lived one day at a time as a living, breathing sacrifice to God. So today, even as I'm speaking this message to you, internally I'm saying to God, God, I'm yours, I'm here, I'm serving you. Use me in this moment. Speak through me. Let me be a servant of yours. Let me be fruitful for you. Lord, let something that I do in this message touch somebody, heal somebody, instruct somebody towards you, towards life, towards fullness, towards healing. So even right now in this moment, I'm trying to live this out. And each day, the breath that we are breathing, we are trying to give our lives, our moments back to God. If it's loving somebody or serving somebody or praying for someone or writing someone or texting someone or preparing something to, to be better, to influence someone. And so our lives are living sacrifices to God because we're saved. We have eternal life. We're going to be resurrected. We, we have everything we'll ever need for life and for godliness. We have eternity in Him and it's through that motivation that we can surrender our life right here and right now to the plans and purposes of God. 
Jesus said, if, if you try to save your life or you try to hold on to your life, you're actually going to lose it. If it's all about you and it's about self-preservation and self-centeredness, you're going to lose it. That's not what life is about. But if you lose your life for me, you give your life away for me and for my purposes, as I lead you, as I instruct you, as my spirit guides you, you are going to find life. That's the purpose of your life is to give it away, to give it away. And when you give it away, you will find it. You will have eternal life in him. So I know it's countercultural. It's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense to a worldly mind, a sin-filled mind. But it does begin to make sense to a born-again, spirit-filled person because God transforms our thinking. And Paul goes on to say, then when your mind is transformed, when you're renewed, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Hallelujah. So we're going to pick up where we left off there in Romans chapter uh, uh, 12. Now we're going to start with verse 3. I've got five statements I want to share with you today. Okay. The first statement is this. You are a part of a body or a family or a team. This is what Romans chapter 12 says, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In other words, God has given each of us a measure of faith uh, that we operate in to live life for His glory. In, in chapter uh, verse 4, it says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so Paul is reminding us here that just like our human body has all these different parts, fingers, toes, we got ears, eyes, nose, hair, you know, we got kneecaps, we got ankles, we got um, a back, a vertebrae, elbows, we got all of these bones and all these parts to our body, we got these internal organs. Uh, lungs and kidneys and a heart and a pancreas and you know different things like that are going on and so all of these different parts um, are unique and they have a unique uh, you know part to play but they all form one body and he's saying to you and to me you are a part you're one of these parts you are a part of a body you are a part of the body of Christ you belong to the body of Christ. You are not your own. Uh, so the reason I'm saying this is because in Christ, we need each other, but we also belong to each other. Okay? It says here in verse 5, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What that means is, you belong to me. I belong to you. We are not isolated, autonomous individuals. We are connected spiritually into one body. And we do belong to each other. That means we're accountable to one another. We need each other, but we belong to each other. Just like in a marriage, you know, um, when a husband and a wife come together in marriage, the Bible says that the two shall become one. The two are being joined together and they belong to each other. In fact, uh, Paul would even say these words, um, 
that the woman owns the man and the man owns the woman. Like they belong to each other. They're one. They're one. And so that's why Paul would say in Ephesians that husbands, you are to love your wives as, as you love yourself and as Christ has loved you. So because you are loving yourself when you're loving your wife, it's like because you're one. It's the same with the, the, uh, the body of Christ. We are to be one, one body. We belong to each other. You belong to one another, uh, to the body of Christ, right? We are not individual, autonomous Christians. We have a shared experience and we need each other and we belong to each other. So my, my encouragement is you need to plug in. You, you need to uh, be a part of that body because that's who you are. I need you and you need me and we need each other. Uh, I belong to you and you belong to me. You can't just do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, we're in this together. The finger can't just dis detach itself and just take off and do its own thing. It doesn't make any sense at all in a physical realm. Well, it doesn't make any sense at all in the spiritual realm either. That's why God has given us this analogy to say you cannot thrive as an individual apart from the body. You need to get attached or reattached and you need to find your role and you need to play your part because that's who God made you to be. All right, so that's the first statement. It's very important. So practice your faith, get connected to the body. If you're not a member of a church, find a church that God really is drawing you to and plug in, become a member and, and begin to just fully engage yourself into the body of Christ because we need each other and we're meant to be together. The second statement I want to make is you are gifted. So picking up in verse six, Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. So if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, then let him govern uh, diligently. And if it's showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. So Paul's just given an example, like seven different ways that people are gifted. He's not given an exhaustive list, but he's saying this very clearly in verse six, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. So God has gifted you. He has graced you. The word in uh, Greek, there's charismata. It's a grace gift. It is a it's an anointing or a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so you have been gifted. Every one of us is gifted. You are gifted with a grace from God, an anointing from God, whether that's mercy or generosity or leadership or, uh, you know, all these different examples. And there's, there's many more than this. In whatever way that God has touched your heart, filled you with grace, opened your eyes to see a need and you have a hunger and a desire to meet those needs, that's part of your gift. And so use your gift, right? It's for the benefit of those around you. It's for the benefit of the body of Christ. That's why we're all these different parts. And the fingers can do things that the stomach can't do. And the stomach can do things that the fingers can't do, right? The ears have a special function. My teeth have a special function, right? Every part of my body has a gift that helps the whole thing work. And you and I need to be using our gifts for the benefit of, again, the body. 
So, number one, you are a part of the body, the body of Christ, or the family of God, or a team, right? You are, number two, gifted. And number three, you are called to live a lifestyle of overcoming evil with good. You are called to live a lifestyle of overcoming. And the overcoming is of the evil around you. And you do that by being good with the power of God working through your life. So this comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 21. And it says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The world's way of dealing with evil is to get more evil <laughs> or to be uh, re uh, vengeful or to get revenge or to curse and fight and argue and demean or slander. Um, and so the world's way of dealing with evil is to meet evil with evil, meet hurt with hurt. Um, and so, but the Christian way, the godly way of living life is to overcome evil in the opposite way, by being good. Jesus says, you know, when your enemy, if you have an enemy, um, if you're, when you have an enemy, he tells us how to treat the enemy. He says, bless your enemy. Do good to them. Pray for them. Do not curse them. So that is absolutely opposite of the way a world or the realm of world system operates, isn't it? Again, it's the opposite, the opposite. And so we're called to live a lifestyle of overcoming evil with good, with blessing, not cursing, uh, with, with praying for, you know, not pulling down. And so I came up with this, uh, I feel like God gave me this idea. In the next couple of verses from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 18, there are 21 powerful statements that Paul is making. And he's outlining to us, and this is again just a sample of what it looks like to live a life of overcoming evil with good. What it looks like to live in a fallen culture. We look around our culture right now, in America in particular, is deteriorating morally, according to the morality of the scriptures. The decisions that are being made, the shifts of, uh, of perspectives and opinions and even laws that are being made right now in our nation are, are uh, going against the traditional Christian morality that we see in the scriptures and that God has witnessed to our spirit. And so we are living in a, in a culture that is deteriorating and, and becoming more um, adversarial to our traditional Christian way of life. And so Paul was writing this in the midst of a fallen culture, a Roman world, with, filled with apostasy, pagan worship, foreign gods, um, br broken ideas, broken systems, uh, just a sexualized culture, an immoral culture, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And Paul is saying, because Christ has now saved us and he has redeemed us, now this is what our life actually looks like now. So as I read these, this is who we are. We are not like the world. Remember at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says, don't conform to the ways of this world. It's not working. It's falling apart. It's filled with pride, lust, and greed. But instead, be transformed, be renewed, and live God's perfect, good, and pleasing life. And here's what it looks like. So Paul is going to go through these 21 statements. And I'm asking you to take 
the 21 day challenge of practicing your faith. And over the next 21 days, I'm asking for you to do each of these 21 things. Maybe one day you're doing this one and the next day you're doing that one and you take a checklist and you just start checking them off and I'm challenging you to practice your faith. Put it into practice. It is absolutely possible and it is specific and it will help us shine our light for Jesus. We need to practice our faith. So let's look at these verses, okay? Starting in verse 9. The Bible says, Love must be sincere. Our love is going to make all the difference in this world. And love needs to be real. It needs to be authentic. And he begins to show what that looks like. So the first statement I want to read for you is in verse 9. It says, hate what is evil. Do you hate evil? Now, we don't hate people. And we, we don't use violence to express hate towards evil or something like that. That's nothing to do with the Christian uh, lifestyle at all. But to hate evil is to not accommodate it in your own heart and in your own life? Is there things in your life that you have accommodated or compromised with that's evil, that's wickedness, that's sin? And the, so, so Paul says, hate what is evil. Um, so let's, let's apply that to our lives. Is there a habit that we need to break? Is there an attitude we need to change? Is there a sin we need to stop doing? Is there something we need to get rid of? Um, and other ways in, in, that you can deal with this is just do, donate to a good cause that's fighting some kind of evil or do something good for someone or break a habit. But the Bible says, hate what is evil. In fact, Jesus even said it this way. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. Uh, now, he didn't actually mean for you to, to do that literally. But what he's saying is take sin seriously. Get rid of it at all costs. It's out to kill you and destroy you. So hate what is evil. And then the opposite. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. Are you clinging to what is good? Maybe you could thank someone uh, who taught you a good lesson. And you could think about something that was uh, impactful in your life and just hold on to that by saying thank you to someone who taught you something that made a difference in your life. Or again, just doing something good for someone else and promoting goodness around you. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Uh, number Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So maybe you could send an encouraging text or lend a hand to someone or pray for someone, but show some sort of devotion of love to someone else in the body of believers. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Maybe it's just rekindling a relationship or a friendship. The next one, which would be number four, is to honor one another above yourselves. The Bible says to honor one another above yourselves, which looks like taking time for someone else. You know, taking some of your time and giving it to someone else. Um, it could be just encouraging someone, doing a good deed for them, uh, taking them out for coffee and investing some time into them, or just complimenting someone else. But putting yourself down and putting someone else up, giving your attention to them. Number five says here, never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. Energize yourself in the Lord. Do something extra. Have a private time of worship with God. Stir yourself up. 
Paul says, this is the lifestyle of a Christian who's been redeemed. They are zealous. Don't ever let your zeal wane. If you've been apathetic, if you've been kind of just kind of lackadaisical in your faith, shake yourself up, stir yourself up, get fired up. <laughs> Do something to rekindle your zeal for God and your zeal for the lost and your zeal for um, fulfilling the purpose God has for your life. Let's Practice this. Let's not just read these things. Do something. Do something to stir yourself up. And closely associated with this is the next phrase. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual, spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Spiritual fervor is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself filled with the Holy Spirit as you serve the Lord. So what can you do to do that? Pray in the Spirit. Memorize a verse. Ask God to speak to you. Get into the presence of God. Stir up your spiritual fervor. Begin to ask God to teach you more. Seek more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Give your attention to God. Speaking to Him, praying to Him. Stir up your spiritual fervor. Stir up your zeal. Okay. Number seven, Paul says this in verse 12. Be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. Stir up your joy. Stir up your hope. Build someone else's hope. Speak to God about someone. Give somebody else hope and give someone else joy. Okay? These are a choice. These are not just merely an emotion that we wait to happen to us, but the joy is always a choice and hope is always a focus. What are you focusing on? What are you holding on to? And so turn your attention to the Lord. Turn your, uh, your joy. Just stir up your joy for, for, your, for the Lord. What is your future look like in Him? Begin to ask God to restore to you the joy of your salvation. All right? Number eight says to be patient in affliction. You know, more and more I am experiencing affliction persecution, resistance, different opinions, um, criticisms, and things like that. And the Bible says uh, when we're living in this world that's broken and fallen, we're going to have trouble. We're going to have persecution. We're going to have these things that we deal with. And so the Bible says to be patient in affliction. So we need to give thanks to God in our circumstances. The Bible says, Give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is His will for you, not after the circumstances have been removed. But also, I stumbled across Psalms 142 and 143. If you're dealing with a time of affliction right now, I want, I want to encourage you to read Psalm 142 and Psalm 143 because David went through a lot of times of affliction. And I think his words will bring you comfort and you'll be able to relate to some of the things that he's saying in those chapters. So the Bible says, be patient, don't give up, don't be discouraged, be patient in affliction. Find a way to give God thanks, even in the midst of what's happening in your life. Number nine, about halfway here, is to be faithful in prayer. The end of verse 11. Be faithful in prayer. Are you praying? Are you faithful in praying? So let's stir that up. Pray for other people. Pray for your community. Pray for your nation. Pray for your family. Uh, pray for the lost. 
This week, um, just past here, Thursday, is National Day of Prayer. Maybe you participated in that. But we should always be praying for our nation. We should always be praying for our leaders. We should be praying for one another. And we should be calling on God for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done. To be faithful in prayer. Put it into practice. Let's practice our faith. Uh, number 10, um, in verse where I'm at, 13, says, Share with God's people who are in need. This is a real practical way of practicing our faith is just to share with people. Find a need and meet it. Find someone that has a need and you be the one to meet it. Don't just tell somebody else, hey, so-and-so over here could use some of this and so-and-so over there could, could, could need that. No, if you see it, you meet it. That's your faith on display. That's you practicing your faith. Find someone that needs something and take care of it. Share. Share with those who are in need. That's how we practice our faith. All right? Um, verse 13 finishes with this. Practice hospitality. So practicing hospitality is accommodating uh, other people in your life. When's the last time that maybe you've invited someone over for dinner and just had dinner with someone? Or you could go to coffee with someone. Or you could just make room in your time or uh, in, your, in your day or in the week to just have relationship time with someone. Hospitality is opening your life to other people. So do something like that, okay? Maybe it's someone new, or maybe it's someone that you haven't been with in a while, and make a reconnection. All right, verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is a hard one. This is really hard. I've been, I've been having the opportunity to do this lately, too. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's, it's more fun to laugh than cry. But, you know, the idea is when, when people are persecuting us, what is our response? To get even? To uh, speak back? To curse back? To try to hurt back? Or should we do what Christ is calling us to do? And that is to bless. And so find a way to do good. Or pray for someone at least. Who is persecuting you? As I mentioned at the outset, Jesus gives us like three things. Pray, bless, and do good. Pray for them, bless them, and do good to them. And do not curse. So if you're being persecuted, and if you haven't been being persecuted lately, it's probably going to come soon if you're standing up for your faith. Absolutely. And when you are, don't strike back. Pray, bless, and do good. Do not curse. Right? Let's put this into practice. Um, the next one, Paul says in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. And then the next one, mourn with those who mourn. And so these are two different ones. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Celebrate someone's success. Recognize someone's accomplishment. Be happy for someone who's going through a good time. But for those who are mourning, those who are in grief, those who have lost, those who are suffering, the Bible says, let's reach out to them. Mourn with them. Show empathy and show compassion. Text someone, call or write an encouragement or pray with someone that you know is hurting. Reach out to them, even though it's difficult. I know we don't always know what to say or how to respond. Do it. Just do it. Show compassion. And the Bible says to do this, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. Finally, not finally, but the next one uh, in verse 16, Paul says, Live in harmony with one another. Living in harmony with one another is something that you have to work at and strive for. Maybe you need to forgive someone. 
Maybe you need to work through an issue with someone, but we definitely need to choose unity. We need to choose unity. Unity doesn't just happen by accident. It happens by purpose. It happens by people humbling themselves, listening, having empathy, and working together to come together. Living in harmony is work. It's work. So let's practice our faith and not live with boundaries between each other, barriers or walls between each other, hard feelings against each other, but we forgive and we reconcile and we come in harmony. We come back into unity. So practice your faith. If God puts on your heart, there's a situation or a relationship that is strained or broken or that you need to forgive someone or something, do it. Don't just read these verses and just go on, but put it into practice. This is who we are. Do it. Do it. All right. Verse um, 16 also says, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Find a way to help someone in need. Maybe even just paying for someone in the drive-thru behind you or looking for someone that you can serve. It's really about humbling ourselves, uh, not being so proud that nobody else is deserving of our presence, you know, or our time because we're so important to ourselves, but that we are willing to serve anyone at any time because we are God's servant. And Jesus says, if you really want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to go all the way down to the bottom and become the servant of all, not just the ser- not just serving popular people or wealthy people or uh, easy easy solutions, um, but going all the way to the bottom and being willing to do anything that God leads you to do, anything that you notice that needs to be done. A lot of times, that's God showing you that and asking you to step in and give yourself away. So don't be too proud to serve anybody anytime in any situation look for how god's going to want to challenge you to do that in these next 21 days all right the next one is very similar we're in uh, um, the next statement paul continues by saying do not be conceited really the same thing do not be conceited so i'd just like to encourage you to write an encouraging letter or to give a compliment or to let someone uh uh, give someone your spot in line or just do something as God prompts you to just make sure that it's not all about me, that I'm not the most important person in the room, that, that, uh, that God will help me notice other people and promote other people around me so we can counteract that, that sinful nature in all of us to be conceited, to be self-centered, to be the most important person in our mind but to elevate others around us. So look for those opportunities that God will show you. Okay, Uh, we're moving right along here in verse 17. Again, Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So it's almost the same thing we have already looked at once before, where it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So do the same thing, right? Maybe it's... uh, Pray a blessing on them, be nice to them, do something kind to them. Um, And it's the same idea. Instead of retaliating like the world would, we're not going to do that. 
So there's going to be three different things here that Paul says is almost exactly the same. And I wonder why. Because <laughs> he's living in a culture where he has lots of enemies. He's standing up for the gospel and for Christ, and he's being persecuted all the time. And instead of retaliating, instead of cursing, he's blessing, he's praying, he's doing good. And he's challenging us to do the same thing. Okay, continue forward and it says, uh, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. So look at your life. Are you doing what you can do to do right in your life? Is there anything in your life that you know you're not doing right that you can change? Well, change it. Put your faith into practice. Or maybe there's other things you can do just to be above and beyond opening the door for someone or but checking your own integrity, checking your own honesty, making sure that your life is being lived in compliance or in honor of God's word. And if there's any area of your life that's falling short, then address it. Ask for God to help you make that change and deal with it. Don't just keep living that way. Um, Paul is challenging us you know, to be transformed and to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If anybody should be doing what's right, it should be a child of God who's been redeemed and forgiven and set free from sin. Okay, we're almost done here with this. So then he goes on to say, um, if it is possible, in verse 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Be positive with others. I like to say it this way, spread positive gossip about other people, right? Give grace to those around you. Don't try to stir up division or um, uh, dissension or disruption, but look for ways to bring people together. Look for ways to make peace. Be a peacemaker. Jesus said, you know, blessed are the, those who um, uh, are peacemakers. They will see God, you know? So it's pleasing to God that you would be a peacemaker in as much as it's possible with you to live at peace with those around you, even your enemies, right? To do good and to bless them, to not curse them, to not harm them. So as much as it's possible, try to be a peacemaker in these next 21 days. And then finally, the last one that Paul says here in verse 19 is, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so this is all summarized by this verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the reason why we study the Bible, the sages say, is we study to learn to do. So I'm challenging you to take these 21 statements over the next 21 days and do one a day and practice your faith. James says it this way, we need to put it into practice. We need to just do it. If we just read it, it's like a person, and don't do it, it's like a person who looks himself in the mirror and as he walks away, completely forgets what he even looks like. And we could just read the Bible, and if we don't do it, we're just walking away, and it has no lasting impact at all in our life. We didn't do anything, didn't make any difference to anybody else because we never did anything about it. But that's not the way of, of a person who has experienced the grace of Jesus, right? A Christian. We give ourselves as living sacrifices to him. So step it up 
let's pre- practice our faith in these next 21 days. Now, I'm not done. I've got two more statements I want to make. So let's just do a quick review. You are a part of the body. You are gifted. And you are called to live a lifestyle of overcoming evil with good. My fourth statement is, love is your mantra. Love is what it's all about. We know this. We talk about this all the time. But in Romans chapter 13, uh, where I want to read verses 8 to 10, Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see that? The self-centeredness. Paul says, we're going to turn that all the way around. Instead of just being self-centered and loving myself, I'm going to turn that around. And now, just like I would want to love myself, now I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love other people. He says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He's just summarizing what Jesus said. He said, oh, Jesus, you know, this guy comes up, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so there it is. Jesus says, on these two commandments, all the laws hang. It's all about love. Love does no harm. And so Paul is reminding us that the way of a Christian to live their life is love. Love is your mantra. Everything that you are doing is going to be about love because you're a child of God. You're redeemed. And the love of God is now in your heart. Everything about your life now is to be love. To love. And so that's what we're doing. And we will always have the debt to love others. That's what the Bible says. Don't don't owe man anything. Don't have all these debts of all these things and and, uh, be such a consumer that all you have to show for your life is a pile of debt. He said, be free from those debts so that you can get about the real business of living life, which is the debt of love. We are called to love one another. We're called to love this world, not the things in the world or the system in the world, but the people in the world. We're called to love like God loves us. For God so loved the world. He didn't love the sin in the world. He loves the people. And so we have the same heart as God. And God says, your, your mantra, my mantra is love. Love. Okay? So we're part of a body. We're gifted. We're to overcome evil with good. And how do we do that? With love. With love. Because God is in us and God is love. And the last statement I want to make is eternity is your motivation. The Bible gives us the motivation of the promised promise of eternal life in Him. Romans 13, 11, and 12. Listen to what Paul says. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Why? Because your, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us behave decently as in the daytime. And so now Paul is saying, listen, it is now. Now's the time. Eternity 
is right there on, on the brink. The night is almost over. The dark season of human history filled with sin is almost concluded. The sun is just about to rise, right? The light is just about to come. Jesus is, is like he's in the starting blocks, ready to burst forth from heaven and run to us. So Paul says, in light of this motivation that eternal life awaits all of us, so let us toss aside all these deeds of darkness and let's behave this way because God has saved us and, and we, are, we are here to be that light to the world. That's what he's saying. It reminds me of a, a story or a parable that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 13. In verses 32 to 20, uh, 27 to 32, I think it is. No, it's 32 to... 37, I'm sorry, verses 32 to 37, he says this, Jesus is talking, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the son, but only the father. Be on guard, Jesus says, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Jesus has given us this analogy. And he's saying, now you and I, we are the servant. We are the one that God has placed in charge at this time on the earth. And he says, here's your assignment. Now stand guard, watch, be prepared, be doing what I've told you to do. And this is how the, the story continues. Therefore, in verse 35, Keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, when Jesus will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. What's Jesus saying? He's saying he has commissioned us to be his witnesses on the earth, to represent him and to live this new life of power through his Holy Spirit and to go into all the earth and to share this good news. And this is our assignment. Being alert, watching, being on guard is doing what God has called us to do. And he says, when Jesus returns, don't be found sleeping. In other words, don't be found not doing what God has called you to do. Wake up, wake up. From your slumber. It is time right now, as Paul says, to wake up from our slumber and to see the real purpose of our life in this day and this age and in this culture. We are to shine. We are to be shining for him, not just lackadaisically going through life, going through the motions, um, just kind of numbed out to what's happening but doing what God has called us to do, to be alert, to be on guard, to be watchful, to be doing what God's called us to do. It's time to practice our faith. It's time to be strengthened. It's time to stand up for who God is and to share that love and share that good news. I'll finish with this. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. This is the time 
for you and I to press in to what God wants to do in and through us. We are alive for such a time as this. We are the people that are assigned to the earth for this period of history. And may you be awakened. May you be zealous. May you be passionate. May you uh, not return evil for evil. May you be generous in giving. May you be faithful in prayer, patient in affliction, joyful in hope. May you are doing these things right here that we're talking about clinging to what is good, hating what is evil, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, honoring one another above ourselves, not being proud, but humble, serving, giving, loving, reaching out. May that be your life. May you take up this 21-day challenge from Romans chapter 12, and may you practice, practice um, our faith in Christ And as we do, I'm confident God is going to use those uh, qualities in our life to touch people and to spread His love. All right? Today, I want to pray a blessing on you, okay? If you need Jesus in your heart, just say right now, say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I need you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for dying for me and dying for me to be forgiven and to be renewed in relationship with you and to have eternal life. I'm all yours, and I trust in you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hope to see you uh, in church soon, but let me pray a blessing to all of you who are taking up this 21-day challenge of practicing our faith. God, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would do a new work in our hearts that you would stir these qualities up within us, that they would come naturally supernatural from the power of your Holy Spirit. And as we take on this 21-day challenge to practice our faith, that it will be fruitful, not just for us, but for the ones that are being impacted by the, the way that you lead us in these 21 challenges. Lord, may it touch people's hearts, fill them with your love, fill them with your presence, bring people to salvation, bring people to health and freedom. Through our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.